Hello, hello. This is Kim Addis from Frame of Mind Coaching, and you have just joined us at the Frame of Mind Coaching Podcast. Today, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome a very valued friend and my guest, Lisa Peterson. She is the founder and president of a company called The Wealth Clinic. Lisa, welcome. Thank you, Kim. So happy to be here. So the Wealth Clinic, what is that? What do you do? Who do you do it for? What is that all about? Is it like medicine for people who have money illness? That's a great way to think about it. <laughs> yes, I would say that is is exactly what it is. So we teach people about their relationship with money, coaching, writing books, um, videos, you name it. It's all about the relationship with money, though. Great. So we're going to get into the books and all that stuff shortly. But what is it about money that causes people to have that odd relationship? Like, what is it that about exactly? What I found is that we are often trapped in different patterns of scarcity and To simplify my work, I would say it's two main areas. One is fear for survival, which is like, I'm a few bad moves away from destitute poverty, that being one. And the other being a fear of not being enough, not having enough in in a different way than that fear of survival. It's more a high level kind of way of thinking of things. And, And, you know, many people have both. Some people just have one, but that's what I explore. But where does that even come from? Like, is that something that we were born with? Is that in our DNA? Is that, are those messages that were kind of indoctrinated into our system from our parents? Like, what is that really about? Are some people just more comfortable with money than others? What's the source? Yeah, it's everything that you said. It's all different things. And that's, I think, why it's hard to wrap our head around it sometimes. But Some of us are born with tendencies, no question about it. It doesn't matter what our parents were doing. We had a deep fear of survival, period. Others, and and I'd say this is a very common situation, is it's the programming and conditioning that we received early on in life that affected us to the core. And because of that conditioning, we don't realize that that's just a story that we're telling ourselves. And in many cases, it's not actually true. Now, it's not about being ignorant. If we don't have enough money to pay our bills, of course, there's a challenge there. We're not ignoring that. But what I've seen is, is what we think becomes our reality. So when we think that we're not going to be able to take care of our bills, it's weird because people end up in these cycles of, of always falling short. So I want to kind of go back. I want to go back to the, um, you know, when we were kids and the kind of the, the messaging and the upbringing we had, like, be more specific. What were some people taught as children with respect to money that keeps them in that mindset of scarcity and fear? Like, What were those messages specifically? So I'll speak just to my own situation because it obviously looms forever, especially with sort of what's going on in the world, is I was raised in a home where my mom had come from pretty severe poverty and not being able to have enough food to eat. So when I was born, even though she had a job, she cut hair and she was able to support our family, her fear was all the time present. And she would talk about it constantly of like, 
oh, we might not make the house payment next month, or we're going to lose the car, or we're going to have this problem. And so it was always present. And so as a, as a creature, right, as human beings, we just soak up whatever is being done in the home and we believe it's true. And then we can't break the cycle because we don't realize we're sort of stuck in it. So, you know, that's my story, but I see these different stories over and over again that play out in different ways. Like for someone the other day I was talking to, their father died when they were young and they were comfortable and everything was awesome. And then their father died and everything went crazy. They didn't have enough food to eat, you know, or they, they found a way to make it work, but it was a fear that they were going to be put out on the street. And so that memory is what guides her, her choices 40 years later. Right. So, and those are like extreme situations, but we find that even people who were fine as children still grow up with certain beliefs, certain ideas, certain deep seated uh, fears around money, and maybe they're a little more subtle. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. An example would be when I was probably seven years old, I remember uh, we went out and I had a purse and I had money in the purse and we went out to spend the day at this fair. And at some point we were playing on swing sets and I put the purse down and forgot and left it. And it was like, 30 minutes later, I go running back and I find the purse and the money is gone. And even that one situation has given me like a lifelong fear of losing my purse to the point where I'll watch it at all times. Like it's just part of me. But just that one moment of trauma can literally change things. And, and how traumatic was it? I think I lost $3, you know, but to right. me at that moment, that was like a fortune. it was a fortune. And so we don't realize that just even a passing comment that a parent could make at a pivotal moment in our lives can literally stay with us for our whole life. Like we decide things about ourselves. I decided in that moment I was irresponsible with money and I couldn't be trusted. Wow. Wow. So I want to dig into this, but before we do, I just want to share with you because you, your conversation about the park um, triggered a memory for me. My mother, like I grew up in a home where I never felt a lack of anything. And I always felt like I could have anything. And, you know, abundance was always the way, right? Except that my mother didn't always trust people. And so, you know, she would always teach us when you go to a public washroom, put your purse on your lap. Don't hang it up over the door because someone could reach over and grab the purse. When you're driving in your car, put your purse under your feet. Because if you put it on the seat beside you, someone could jump in over the sunroof or, or open the door beside you and grab your purse, right? So like she had this fear of what other people could do to you. And so her messaging was always open your eyes, keep your eyes open, right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't about money per se, but it was about, you know, making sure you're safe from others, right? So it's the same kind of thing. So how do you in your work help people deal with those kinds of beliefs inside of themselves? How do you get to them? And how do you undo them per se? Yeah. So 
in situations where we may have made a mistake, these are the easiest ones because I think we we carry a lot of guilt and shame around with our decisions and our choices. And so what I found is when we can get into the creation of a belief, even if that means going back to that inner child experience or that memory that still looms and, and unpack and heal through forgiveness, through understanding, through acceptance, through seeing, in many cases, a lot of the stuff that I help people with is, we're, it's like we're stuck in a loop where we're blaming somebody for something. And the reason we're doing that is we're also tied up into it. We also feel responsible. But the problem is, is we don't see that there was a whole other story behind that person and what they were doing and why they were doing it. And so when we can go into, when we can use light hypnosis and, and uh, mindfulness practices to go into these memories and see them for what they are and heal them in that moment, literally, they never bother bother us again. It's like we're fully accepted and complete. And we're like, wow. And I don't have to live with that anymore. I don't have to resent my mom for something that she did 45 years ago. It's crazy how fast it can be. So does that help? Like, does that change someone's actual financial status? Like, does that suddenly enable them to welcome money into their world? So it's a great question. And this is what I've been spending a lot of time over this past six years studying. And what I would say is, is you do that work that we just mentioned first, but I also have noticed how important it is to make sure and keep people accountable to what it is that they want to change. Because it's not just like, poof, it happens. For some people, yes, they just like, rocket ship, you know, they go off. But most people are so used to the world being a certain way based on that belief system. They need help creating a runway of what is, what is going to take for me to get off the ground? Because that belief has sort of infiltrated a lot of different things that they think about in their work, in the way that they make money, in the way they save money. And so I think of it kind of like yin yang, like we do the inner work and then we focus on the money and we make sure that there's a very clear plan of action of how that's going to change. And so that's a strategic plan of action. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very interesting. Now you wrote a book. I can see it behind you. It's yeah. called the mindful millionaire. Uh, what is that book about? Who's it for? Who should be reading it and how do they find it? So the book is for two audiences. One is the the folks who feel like they've always struggled in their relationship with money and they haven't been able to figure it out and they don't know what's causing them to to keep doing the wrong things over and over. The other audience would be more like myself where I've always been successful with money, but regardless of how much money I had, I still had a lot of, fe- a lot of fear that I was dealing with about losing it. And, and um, no matter how much I had, I just didn't feel safe. And so I have found that those have backstories to them. And the book is written to that audience to help them realize that there is this relationship with money. These are some of the reasons why it got formed the way that it did. And then the second part of the book is about let's go through a process that I teach my clients, that I take them through in my workshops. It's all there in the book where there's journaling exercises, there's patterns to discover. We love journaling exercises. Yay, I know. It's perfect. (laughs) Yeah, so that you can do the work on your own. You don't have to go anywhere else or you can work with an existing coach. Like how cool is that by bringing in these additional questions? Very interesting. So can you give me a sample of a journaling question? Just because obviously. Yeah, sure. Uh, Something as simple as um, explore what it was like, what money, how money was treated in your home growing up. 
-hmm. would be one example yeah, of a that's, question. That's a very good question. Because you'll find that when you go back to your childhood and see what it was like growing up, you'll notice that the same patterns or, or there's a reflection of that history in your current time. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of change the subject a little bit and kind of get your expertise, get your help. A lot of people are suffering right now. A lot of people have been laid off. A lot of people have businesses and they have had to lay people off. They aren't driving any revenue. You know, people are scaling back. They're not spending money. They're, you know, canceling all the subscriptions they've ever had and on and on and on. So there's a huge conversation going on right now about money. Money is a hot topic, uh, given the fact that we're all kind of in isolation at home and with a huge amount of uncertainty. Things right. aren't clear. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, never mind next week, right? So totally. the question I have for you is what advice would you give to everybody who's kind of going, I don't know what's going to happen. And all of my fears are surfacing. Yeah. This is, you know, the work that I've been doing over 20 years. This is coming from that place. So I want to be clear, you know, I have chosen having worked in financial services for 25 years to be able to create a sense of these are the priorities financially that I need to look at. I need to take care of these things no matter what. And so for me as a business owner and what I'm encouraging a lot of my clients to do is to create a very clear plan of action of how to decrease expenses more than you probably expected, mm -hmm. create a runway of as up to 18 months. I mean, very, this is, this is what I was built for. Like you may not need that, but I want to see what that looks like. What are your plan of actions so that if you did need money, how are you going to get it? And how are you going to stay afloat so that you can keep your household running strong? Like that's to me very important so right what, now. I mean, I can imagine that some people who are listening are thinking 18 months, my runway is like two months max. I don't even know how I'm going to live beyond that. So right. Like what, do you what kinds of things could people? be done? Is yep. that the moment to go back to your childhood or is this a moment to kind of just mobilize and figure things out, get creative and I think very practical approach, no question about it, meaning, you know, there are a lot more options. Let's let's actually step back for one second and then go forward. Number 1, the problem with this sort of thing happening, and, and there's tons of data around it, and this is that scarcity mindset, is that you're, if you are in fear and you're looking at your runway and saying it's really two months or three months, the most important thing to know is that right now your brain and your brain responses are not your friend and that you've Go, you're probably going to be better off getting some help and doing what I'm about to say with someone else who isn't in fear mode. That's number one. Does that make sense? Because yeah. we've, we make reactive decisions and they are bad news. And I watched people do this in the 2008, you know, problem. Like people just went, did a lot of stuff that they later regretted because they weren't of sound mind. So we, we focus on knowing that our brain does some things, goes into fight and flight, and we don't make good decisions. So get some help, number one. Number two is, is yes, I'm not saying go inside and focus on, on um, this work. Now, that is, it's, it's kind of a both and. I think you should do that, but first see what's going on financially, what you need to take care of. 
For example, I was a mortgage banker for many years and I'll tell you, we're about to refile our taxes. And even though we have a long ramp, as soon as our taxes get filed, I will be going in and applying for a line of credit as big as I can get it because that's what, like we weren't in a place of needing one in the past and we don't need one right now, but I love lines of credit for this sort of thing. I want to be able to write that check from my checking account to whatever I need to pay if I need it. So being able to just be extra cautious, figure out where your resources are. If you're going to need help from somebody else or a family member, don't wait to do that two months from now. Go have those conversations now to say, this is what I'm looking at. This is like, just be like adult and say, this is what I've got to work with. These are my contingencies. And this is where the unknown happens. Do you have any suggestions? You know, like these are the times that I think we didn't, this isn't what we didn't do back in 2008. And people just collapsed without anybody knowing that things were falling apart. That is not what we want to do. Well, in a, in a funny way, right? Like there's a lot less shame this time around because yes. everybody's in the same boat. Absolutely. Everybody's in the same boat. There are no exceptions to this one, right? So it's not like, oh, I made a bad decision uniquely and I need to carry the weight of this burden by myself. In this case, we're all carrying it simultaneously and we need to kind of help each other out a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about resources. Um, you know, one of the things that I've discovered is that extraordinary leaders have a different sense of resourcefulness. So they think about resources very different than the average person. They believe that anything that they need is accessible to them. Like everything's out there. There's no shortage of money. There's no shortage of talent. There's, there's no shortage of anything they really need. But at this time, it feels like there's a shortage. There's a shortage of toilet paper, it seems, right? Like there's just a shortage. We, you know, went online yesterday to do some shopping and found like there, there's a shortage of cream cheese. Like there's a shortage, right? So, so how do we wrap our heads around the idea of being resourceful when in fact, some of those resources are not accessible? How do we get creative around that? The thing that comes to mind right now that we want to be paying attention to is the fact that we're losing anchors that we've depended on forever. And when that happens, uh, instead of just saying, oh, no toilet paper, we actually extend it to a whole bunch of other stuff. And so the thing that I suggest, if you want to be more resourceful, is to actually find your anchors as soon as possible. Like find the things by anchors. Yeah. So an anchor could be, uh, it could be a financial plan. I mean, that's kind of a big anchor, but what an anchor could be as simple as your dog. I mean, your dog is there, greets you, you know, hugs you, all of that. Like it could be anything under the sun, but what we're looking for are things that bring you great comfort, that, that cause you to exhale, that cause you to remember your truth, that you will get through this and it's going to be okay. So it may be your husband, it may be your wife, it may be your job, it may be, I mean, take time to pay attention to what is safe and stable in this moment. And if there's one thing, there's more. (laughs) Keep looking. Because again, I think that the mind, uh, the reason we're not resourceful is because we've lost a sense of foundation underneath us. And we're trying to rebuild that foundation so that we can start get get creative about like, oh, what are the opportunities? What are the possibilities? And remember that many people have actually built their wealth in things that are happening right now, right? Like there's, that doesn't, 
have to leave our thoughts that, that there is an opportunity like waiting to happen. We even had some of that happen in this past couple days. And I'm just like miracles, like miracles by us having a strong foundation and reminding ourselves all of our Airbnb income went away overnight. It was about 10 thousand dollars a month. Um, neither of us are working in regular jobs. Like it disappeared. And yet a phone call came in the other day that offered my husband an opportunity to do something completely out of the blue that could pay very well for the short term. And it was like, wow, like just by being steady and being ready for whatever comes, Betty I think and we ready. created it. Steady and ready. ready. I like that. <laughs> So one of the things that I've been sharing is this whole idea of taking this opportunity to kind of recalibrate, kind of stop, step back and ask yourself, what are my core values? Like what's really truly important to me when everything is stripped away? What's important to me? And am I living a life that reflects what is important to me? So is it my health? If it's my health, am I doing things to take care of my health or am I drinking and eating a whole bunch? If it's my relationships, am I nurturing those relationships? Am I taking this opportunity to reach out to people who are important to me or who could be important to me? If it's, you know what, I have this wild sense of adventure Am I still living that way, even though there are some restrictions? What could adventure look like right here, right now? What could you be doing that's kind of a little edgy, right? So what are your core values and are you living those values? And are you using this opportunity to get clear on truly what's important to you? And I think that's part of the anchoring process is to like strip down all the excess, all the frivolousness. I don't know if that's a word. But all the all that stuff, all the noise, and get back down to your core, your basics. And I think that's part of what, what I think is uh, aligned with your whole concept of anchoring. I agree. It's beautiful. And we don't always spend enough time thinking about that. Is there a recommendation you have from a financial standpoint? You're smart at this stuff. Is there something we should be investing in? Should we just be saving? Like, what should we be doing with our money right now? Mm. Well, first of all, don't sell. <laughs> don't sell when the market's down. <laughs> the, you know, the data, right? The, the markets have returned like 10%. But because investors get this sort of thing happening, they pull out at the worst possible time and buy at the high and end up getting maybe 5% instead of right. 10% return. Right. Or minus five. or minus. Yeah, exactly. It could be anything that was just yeah. averages, but what, uh, the question remind me of the question. What should people be doing with their money right now? Should they be saving? Should they be investing? Should they be putting it under their mattress? Like what should they be doing? So with new money, uh, that you're saving right now. Yes, save, continue to save. Awesome. And as far as investing is concerned, I don't think that we've seen the bottom yet of what's going on. I think that a lot of things are in, in works right now. I think that there are definitely companies that are always going to thrive, right? Because their products and services are needed. So you could pay attention to those. But if you're more of a person who likes the averages and plays like in, you know, mutual funds or, you know, electronically traded funds. It, it, I think right now is a great time to watch, to learn, to strategize, to see what you're thinking about investing in, but waiting necessarily to invest. In my opinion, from a more cautious standpoint, you know, other people would feel differently, but I think that we still have a lot to learn over the next, I'd say month. 
Now, for a person who isn't so financially savvy, for someone who's going, yeah, you know, you said electronically traded fund, is that an ETF, uh, right? For for people who aren't so familiar with all these terms and um, there's an opportunity right now to kind of get up to speed with financial education and financial lingo, is there somewhere you would point them? Is that you or is that somewhere else to kind of just learn the basics of what a person needs to know with respect to investments, funds, all that stuff? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it is a wonderful time to be learning about investing and being ready for the opportunities that we're going to be presented in the future. And so, yes, we are actually, I put something out to my community last week and I said, is it time? You know, how many people here are interested in learning more about investing? And we got a lot of responses. And so I'm looking at putting together a class, uh, probably in the next month, depending on finding what I like to do with my classes is it's not just me. I am a certified financial planner in the US. um, But I like to bring in people with different perspectives and different backgrounds and expose people to a, a variety of teachers. And so pulling that together is what I'm looking at right now. So how do people find you if they want to join your class, buy your book or learn more about your coaching? Perfect. Uh, wealthclinic.com is a great place to start. You could take my money and chakra quiz. If you're on Facebook, you can join us at uh, mindful millionaire community. And so the community is built around the book that's coming out in June. But the idea is, is uh, when we're working our way through the book, we'll be able to share our stories and get feedback and, and thoughts. And so it's, it's got about 2,500 people there now, and we're already engaged in great discussion and we're learning about how can we take really, really good care of ourselves, even in these uncertain times. Amazing. Lisa, thank you so much for spending this time with me, for teaching us what you have to share and your expertise. I learned some things, things for me to think about. So I appreciate it. And uh, you know what? Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep sharing your wisdom. Thank you, Kim. Thanks for all the listeners. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm.